Hey guys, and welcome to the Take Flight podcast with me, Mark Whittle, where we speak with the best individuals in the world of what they do, whether that's athletes in sport, business founders and entrepreneurs, or lifestyle specialists, experts in meditation, breath work, yoga, all these different practices so that we can learn from them and use them ourselves to make us better. This is another special edition episode taken from the Take Flight event, which was themed all around overcoming adversity. The goal of the evening was to shift people's perspective on the way they view challenge that's inevitably going to crop up in all of our lives so that when they do, we can either see the good in them, recognize in the moment that we're going to get benefits from them and see how we're going to grow and start to make that our default reaction when bad things happen. This talk is by the absolute legend, Michael Maisie. Michael is an amazing guy. He's doing awesome things. He's had a crazy journey and you can listen to his full story on the episode on Take Flight that we recorded earlier this year. And this is the talk that he provided for us on the evening, which was such an amazing evening, such a high energy event. I'm actually recording this intro from my hotel room in Santa Monica, where I've been recording some podcasts with people, trying out different things. I've just actually trained in Gold's Gym down the road in Venice at Venice Beach which is the flagship Gold's Gym facility where like Arnold Schwarzenegger and all these amazing athletes have trained over time. I've also done my first Kundalini yoga and breathwork session. I met Stevie and Dom, Stevie Ward, who was on the podcast last year, and his mate Dom, both of the lads run the Mentality magazine and Mentality podcast. And I met those boys and we went to watch the Lakers. It's been unreal, but listening back to Michael's talk from the event was amazing and brought back all the emotions and all the feelings that I had on the night, which was such a powerful evening. Michael's an incredible speaker. He stood up and just spoke so well. He's obviously done it so many times and he's a veteran in this and he's an expert at public speaking, but it was the first time I'd actually seen him share his story in front of an audience and it was really, really strong and really powerful and so many people were were shifted and impacted from it. And I'm still getting messages from people now saying how powerful it was and I'm just so grateful to you, Michael, for standing up and sharing your story so honestly on the night and uh, mate, it was an absolute pleasure having you there. Thanks so much for being a part of it. Without further ado, please enjoy this fantastic talk from Michael Maisie all about overcoming his adversity and how he's seen benefit from it. Enjoy. Okay, ready for the next speaker? Come on. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So this next one's a special one. I've literally just got back from the retreat that this person put on and it was unbelievable. It was very intense as they typically are. I got home and I was all zen and relaxed. But it was really, really powerful. And this person's taught me so much as well. They've got an unbelievable story that I'm sure they're going to go into in detail. Uh, really difficult childhood. Saw a lot of adversity early on. They have turned their life around. They're an entrepreneur in their own right. Retired at 35. Gone on to impact so many people. Now 11 years sober. Um, <laughs> and just done amazing things and become a friend as well. And I cannot wait to hear this person speak. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Maisie. Cool, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, Great intro, Mark. Thanks for that, mate. Yeah, wicked. Yeah, I was in SAS Udo's wins for about two seconds. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so my name's Michael Maisie. I'm the author of a book called uh, Young Offender. It was released in July. And um, I run men's retreats. I run an online program for people overcoming addiction. I'll be 12 years sober in December. I set up a business. I've done lots of positive stuff, but I think the real gold for you guys will be me bringing all of myself to this 
all of me is welcome. You know, me feeling a bit fearful, looking at all of you. I don't know all of you, feeling that fear. Uh, see Mary up in the back there. Yeah, for anyone who's read the book. Has anyone read the book here? Just put up a show of hands. Yeah, okay, cool. Well, there's Mary. If you remember that character, Mary, she's at the back of the room there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so as Mark said, I experienced a lot of difficulties growing up. And I think it started for me early on. My mum come from a Romani gypsy background. And um, she met my dad, who was an alcoholic and a drug addict and had a very volatile violent relationship and um, by the age of by the age of one we'd moved house four times on the run from him and he'd left and so I was essentially raised by my mum who, um, who was an alcoholic and um, it was a difficult upbringing there wasn't always food available um, there was people in and out of our house all the time um, and I remember the real the real moment. I mean, I had some feelings when I remember sort of as a kid knowing my dad wasn't there and there was lots of people in my house. But the real moment where I started detaching from the little boy was when I was, I was about three years old. I woke up and often, as was the case, I'd wake up and there's just adults passed out everywhere. There was no breakfast and I walked into the living room, sorry, into the kitchen to get some breakfast. And um, I was rummaging through sort of the empty beer cans and the fags on the floor and I found a tin opener. And as a three-year-old boy, it was quite fascinating, this thing, you know. I played with it and I was on, sitting on the floor, on the cold floor, naked. Um, I didn't have a nappy on and um, was just playing with the tin opener. And I was so engrossed in it that I would, I'd wrap the tin opener around my testicles. And I remember as a young boy, I screaming the house down and then passing out and getting taken to hospital and it was from that moment on I was on like the watch list this kid needs to be watched um, and that was like a moment where I started thinking you can't count on those people around you the people that are meant to look after you often haven't got you back they're often not there and then sort of a year later my um, my mum come from a big Romani gypsy background and she had a younger brother called Tommy who basically got took into care when he was a little boy. And as often is the case in Ireland, I'm sure you know, you've heard about it, um, there was a lot of sexual abuse, physical abuse by the nuns and the priests in the Catholic Church. And my uncle Tommy was taken in, he was about one, two years old. That's all he knew all his life. It was just physically and sexually abused all his life. And he came out of the children's home and phoned my mum up and said, you know, I, I'd love to come to London and try and start a new life. And my mum sort of welcomed him into our home. And, um, and yeah, and I remember, the, I remember the first moment when the abuse started with my uncle was when I was, I was cheeky to my mum. As a kid, I, I had a lot of sort of, I observed how adults interacted and it was okay to go from one to 10 really quickly. And so that's what happened with my mum. My mum would tell me to do something. I wouldn't agree with it. I'd go from one to 10. But now my uncle Tommy was here and he wanted to stamp his authority as man of the house. And um, the way he would discipline me, knowing I carried this injury on my, on my testicles was to grab my testicles. Like, squeeze them. And, um, and yeah, and that was from the age of 
sort of four or five upwards and it and there was sexual abuse as well he'd get drunk and um i always knew he'd listen to a band called the wolf wolf tones and i knew when the wolf tones were playing he was going to come into my bedroom that night and it was um it was at that time as a young boy at five years old it was like if the people that are meant to love you do this to you then what is everyone else out in the world going to do to you and how are you going to survive and the only way and this is me talking about it looking back in hindsight the only way I figured out how to survive was to create an adapted version of myself to create a loud angry character that kept everyone at arm's length so if you come to me with aggression I would meet you with a 10 or a 12 but also if you come to me with love if you was a teacher and you wanted to help and support me that's some of how my uncle Tommy used to you know manipulate me so I could also hit you with that aggression as well if you approach me with love and that was my my adapted version of myself all, all my all my childhood and um, you know I got to the age of about 14 15 and I discovered alcohol and drugs and alcohol and drugs were just like the sort of transportation to get me to be the toughest meanest baddest motherfucker out there you know, I carried all this fear, but I had a good mask on. With the alcohol, it was like I could be this guy. And, um, and yeah, I got into, got into crime really young. I got convicted of armed robbery and possession of firearms at the age of 15, which was a big deal back then. You know, there wasn't many 15-year-old armed robbers back then. And shortly after, got sent to prison, um, come out, got sent back to prison for attempted murder, um, come out, went back to prison for assault on police. Um, and spent most of my teenage years locked up in a prison cell for 23 hours a day. Um, and yeah, I was just a, a very angry young man. I was just like, I was just like, you know, I looked at people who had a normal life, who had a, parents who were married and food on the table every night. And I just felt like, you motherfuckers don't know how hard my life is. And that fueled my aggression and that fueled my reason to be this angry guy and not let anyone in. But eventually on my last prison sentence, I, I, when I come out of prison the second time, I went to go back to crime. And I was like, you know, I'd just given up on getting a job. And I basically said to all my friends, I was like, well, what are we doing to get money? I was like, what are we doing, armed robberies or what are we doing? And they was like, no, we're selling crack and heroin. It was like the late 90s, everyone was selling crack and heroin. And I was like, great, I'm gonna sell crack and heroin. And I was the worst drug dealer ever. I just used to take all my own shit. It was terrible. <laughs> and then I'd have to go and rob to pay the guy back. <laughs> so when I went to prison the last time, I was like a fully blown heroin addict, you know, not even knowing I'd become addicted. I was just at it every day, crack, heroin, alcohol. And I got to prison and um, me being this tough guy, the prison, prison guards were like, you've got two choices, mate. You've got a 14 day detox or a seven day detox. And me being like this sort of tough, young, angry kid, I was like, give me the seven day, I just want to ride this out. And uh, all I can explain of that is two days into it, if you imagine hell on earth, that is what detoxing from heroin 
with this fast detox is they've got rid of it now. It doesn't exist now because there were so many suicides. It like flushes the heroin out of your system in a completely um, unnatural way. And two days in, I, um, I was like, I can't do this. I can't fucking, I cannot fucking do this. And um, I basically ripped up my bed sheets in my prison cell, ripped them up, created a rope around the bar and just rolled off the bed. And just hung there until I passed out. And um, I remember that moment before passing out, it was like thinking about my mum, thinking about Mary. Mary used to send me letters in praying for me, thinking about my mum, thinking about my dad. I'm sorry I couldn't be better than you, dad. And then getting found. You know, just by the grace of God, the prison guard, it was in the middle of the night and the night guard, because it's on a detox wing, they, he has to go around the wing and just open the flap on your door. Just check it, you're still alive. And um, if he had started at the other end of the prison wing, he, I would have been dead. But he started at my end of the wing. He saw me hanging, he come down, brought me back to life and I was put in a padded cell. And I remember this moment where the adapted version of myself, this tough guy, had been broken. And my mum come to visit me. They called my mum up and said, you need to come and see your son. And my mum didn't really visit me very often because she was an alcoholic. So prison was like a lonely place for me. And um, she come to visit me. And um, normally the visiting room in a prison is where the inmates like to walk out acting tough, like I'm running this gaff. This prison ain't phasing me, I'm top dog and all this like bullshit. And I walked out like just broken. I, all my neck was all uh, like bruised. And um, I sat down in front of my mum and my mum said, um, I've decided I've got a problem with alcohol and I didn't want to tell you until now, but I'm three months sober. And I just burst into tears in this waiting room which is like the golden rule in young offenders institution. You do not cry. If you cry in young offenders, you just become a victim, you get bullied. And that did happen after that. Um, but it was like the one thing I always wanted in my life was my mum to be, to have one person, just one person I could go to who was there for me. And you know, there was my mum. And you know, so I left, I left prison that time and it started this journey inside my mind of like, what can I do now to change this around? I, okay, I'm, I'm 18, I've spent all my teenage years in prison, I've got no GCSEs. All my mates have done apprenticeships, some of them are on the property ladder, some of them have got their driving cars. I was like, no license, no job, nothing. And so I started on this journey of like, how do I turn this around? And the first thing I'd done was I went to AA. And so I went to my first AA meeting, I was 18 years old. I was like, what a fucking waste of a Friday night sitting in a fucking AA meeting. <laughs> I was like, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't drink every day, so I'm not an alcoholic. Even though I drink and I do crazy shit and end up in prison, I didn't drink every day. Because in my head, an alcoholic is someone who sleeps on a park bench. I was like, I never slept on a park bench. I never drank every day. I'm not an alcoholic. And um, I spent from the age of 18 to 25 trying to change, finding it hard. Uh, trying to convince myself or what, I didn't have a problem with alcohol. And eventually, age 25, I was like, fuck it, I just can't fucking drink like normal people. So I got sober and uh, I've been sober ever since. It'll be 12 years in December. And um, 
on that journey, I've done lots of stuff. I've done the 12-step program um, like four or five times. I've mentored lots of people, done lots of prison talks, uh, run loads of workshops in prisons. I got an award for it in 2014 from the Metropolitan Police, which was quite weird, getting an award from the Met Police. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was a funny moment when they, they, they just call your name out and say for his contribution for what he's done. And I go up and I'm, I look like pretty normal, right? And then at the end, they call me over to all the like high up police officers in a circle. And they're like, Michael, tell us a bit more about your life. I'm like, well, yeah, armed robbery at 15, attempted murder 16. And you see all these coppers like looking like, you know, but um, I don't know. That was a surreal moment for me as well. And, um, and yeah, where, where I'm at today. So I set up a business. I'd also done a Tony Robbins course and I learned how to have set up a systems in business like everything has a system, like when, when something goes really well, let's make a system for it, then let's make that system idiot proof, then let's make it a system to check that system, to monitor that it's being done the way you say it is. And I just done that with my business and um, it's won award, it's like won multiple awards um, and sort of about four years ago, I took a step back from the business. I didn't have to work there anymore. And I was like, what do I want to do in my life? I was like, great, man, I'm just going to fucking kick back. <laughs> and I got bored so quickly. And, um, and then the book come about um, and I run workshops in prisons now. I do public speaking like this. Um, I set up a free online program. Um, and yeah, I went back to acting. I'd done acting as a kid in the middle of all of that stuff. I was in a TV show called Birds of a Feather in, as a kid, you know, tiny part. But, you know, acting was like my means of escaping who I used to be. And, um, and where I'm at today is sort of, um, you know, helping others, basically. Um, and I guess, like, if I could give you two things, really, just off the cuff, that, that sort of really work for me is all of you is welcome. So a big thing we say on the men's retreat, that you guys who are there, all of you is welcome. So all, the, the bit of you that's here that's listening that's thinking, this is a load of shit, oh, I can't wait for this guy to finish. That's, that's welcome. The bit of you that's really enjoying it, welcome. The bit of you that's inconsistent at doing the things that make you happy, welcome. Welcome every bit of yourself. And you might be thinking why, and it's like, oh, hello? Yeah, there we go. You might be thinking why, and because um, it's in that, you're able to get the data about yourself where the gold is. So the gold is always, you know, in, in the darkest places, and that's why I have a routine of what makes me happy. I know if every day I, I exercise, meditate, Wim Hof breathing, stretch, I do that, I'm happy. But what I've learned is over doing this for 12 years, 12 years, that every now and again, I just have to stop and do none of it and explore what comes up. Because in the middle of being a human being, not a human doing, you're able to extract the gold that comes up for you. You know, and often for me, I'll do, 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 like what Louis was saying, so I don't have to stop and celebrate. You know, when you think of north, south, east, west, set the goal, work towards the goal, achieve the goal, celebrate the goal. You know, that's the final thing. And often I don't want to stop and celebrate. Why? Because there's a bit of me that still believes I don't fucking deserve it, that's why. I still look in the mirror sometimes and see this little con, this little ex-con, it's like, who the fuck do you think you are? Get back in your place, sit down, stop letting your light shine. 
And it's like, if I don't stop, and I don't feel that, and I don't welcome that in, that part of me, which I call the security guard, the adapted version of myself, if I pretend he's not there, he'll come out when I least want him to. And it could be in sim something simple like road rage. Someone cuts me out. Would you fuck you? What fuck you? You know, and it's like, that's if I try and suppress him. What I need to do is go, okay, look, thank you. You've got me out of some scrapes in the past, but I'm gonna put you into retirement and I'm gonna take charge from here. But I honor you for keeping me safe for all them years. And so make peace with all, all of you. Make peace with every part of yourself. Make peace with the part that is inconsistent, that's lazy, that doesn't want to do it, that's intolerant. And the other bit of gold, which I'll, how am I doing for time, Mike? Am I waffling on? No, this last bit's good. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> so the other bit, I could give so much gold, but the other bit, which has been a massive masterpiece for me, is relationships. Oh my gosh. Being single, easy. Having a loving, committed relationship with one human being, so hard. Yeah? Especially when you're like me. When I grew up, it was like the people who hurt me the most were the people that I loved. And now I've got a lovely woman who loves me, who's with her arms open looking for intimacy, and I'm fucking scared shitless. I'm like, oh my God. She's going she's gonna to fucking hurt me, just like everyone else. She's got to. Surely she can't be, surely she can't be different from the rest. And so I start searching for chinks in her armor. And you know what they say, seek and you shall find, yeah? So, and then I find something, ah, oh, there you are. I fucking knew it. I knew it, motherfucker. And it's like, it's like, she's a human being. She's not perfect, none of us are perfect. And the key for that is like, what is intimacy? Into me see, letting you see all of me. Sasha, that's my wife's name. Sasha, I love you. But when you get too close to me, I'm worried you're gonna see how fucked up I am and you're gonna run a mile. And where I default to is I'm gonna reject you first so at least I've got some fucking control over this, this situation. Because growing up, I had no control over anything. I didn't even have control over who came in my room at night. And when I said that to her, she was like, oh my God, I just thought you weren't attracted to me anymore. <laughs> and it's like, no, I'm fucking terrified. And like, it sort of ties in nicely with all of you as welcome. Do you know what I mean? Because if I keep bringing all of me to my relationship and I keep letting her see into me see my deepest fears we can always get for everything and you know it's manifested a lot recently we've been married a year on the 26th of this month and we got um we got a daughter as well and if anyone's married and got kids you'll know it's like you get into this sort of routine of you know sexism what it used to be and you know you, you you've got kids you've got businesses and whatnot and it was like um bringing all of me to that is that look, when we met, I fucking had a six pack and I was ripped. And I don't know if you're that attracted to me anymore. And she's like, oh my God, that's so refreshing because I fucking feel the same after I've given birth. I find it so hard to lose the weight. And it's like, oh my God, I fucking love you, man. It's like, I remember why I fell in love with this woman. I'm like, fuck, we're both sharing the same fears. And in the middle of that, that's intimacy. 
can I bring all of myself to this person who I love? All of my fears, all of my insecurities. Um, so yeah, that's my gold. And um, yeah, love out loud. That's what I say. Love is, love is the language. If we all spoke more love, it'd be a better place. Thank you. You've taught me so much as well over the last few months and we've even got two amazing people who are on the retreat with us um, this weekend as well. So friendships for a lifetime. Quick story from there as well. Uh, Dan was a listener to Take Flight. What was, when did you start listening to me? I think I started the Ben Bidwell one. Started listening to the Ben Bidwell episode, listened through uh, and listened to the episode with Michael and then ended up going on the retreat we spoke about on the episode, meeting there and forming a really close friendship. So. Um, it's just what tonight is all about, as well as talking about adversity and challenge and everything else. Bringing the same types of people together that are like-minded and, and I'm sure everyone is going to meet in a moment in the break. It's going to have some great chats and I'm sure things will be stemmed from those conversations as well. Uh, one more round of applause for Michael. Thank you. Alright guys, so we're going to take a short break now, we're going to do like 10 minutes, where's Simeon? Simeon, is that okay, 10 minutes? Can you brew like 60 cups of tea? <laughs> so there's some amazing brands to go and either speak to them or try them actually now as well. Turmeric Co and the guys down here, we're going to hear more about that story in a minute. Um, an amazing company and you're going to have an opportunity to try some of the, the turmeric, and, is it turmeric and ginger you've got? Turmeric and ginger shots tonight. We've got AC London, Simeon's just ran out there, who is definitely worth speaking to, he's a great character. I actually met him uh, in Selfridges, obviously. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was actually waiting for my mum, I was getting her a birthday present and getting the engraving on it, and I bumped into Simeon, he was sampling his, um, his tea. We've stayed in such, he's a legend, and the tea's really good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so please go and enjoy it. We'll be back in here in 10 minutes for the amazing panel chat with uh, some inspiring people. Um, so yeah, see you in a minute. So there it is, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you again, Michael, for being the hero that you are. And as you say to me all the time, which I love, thank you for shining your light. You're doing brilliant things. The retreat that I went on of yours earlier this year has been one of the most powerful things I've done all year. And, you know, people who listen to the podcast will know that I'm trying various practices and techniques and all sorts of different things to try and improve myself and live as the best version of myself. And thank you for what you've done with, with your men's retreat, because that was one of the most powerful things that I've experienced this year. So thank you for that. Keep doing what you're doing. People who haven't read the book yet, Young Offender, you can get that on Amazon and everywhere where you buy books. So go check that out. And Michael, I'm waiting for the second book, mate. Whenever you're ready, I'll be buying it and I'll be talking to you about it again, hopefully. So we've now heard from both Louis and Michael for their talks that took place on the evening. 
on the night, what we did was opened up with a meditation from Natalia from Form, who's been on this podcast as well. Then Louis spoke and then Michael spoke. Then we took a break and everyone had a, had a chance to go and try some of the brands that were supporting the event. And then people came back in after about 15, 20 minutes and we had the most epic panel conversation ever. It was amazing and I had an opportunity to watch the video on my flight over to LA a few days ago and I'd forgotten how good it was actually. And I'm not saying that because of me in any way whatsoever, but because of the people who are on the panel they're unbelievable and even actually a bit sad but it made me cry watching it back when Esme was talking and you'll know when you listen to it which bit it, it was but it really really hit me and um yeah the reason I'm saying that is because this episode is going out on uh this is on a Wednesday whether you're listening to it on the day it drops or later but the following Wednesday I'm going to drop the hour-long conversation that took place during our panel chat and there was amazing people for that panel so uh, Esme Gummer who I've just mentioned Thomas Robson Carnu, professional footballer, co-founder of the Turmeric Co. Josh Patterson, the founder of Limitless, and Ben Tansley, who's just an all-round hero. And you would have heard his story earlier on this year on the podcast. So I hope you enjoyed Michael's talk and please look forward to the panel talk next week. Thanks, guys.